You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Welcome to this episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today we have on our show Josh Scherfe, and we're going to be talking about worship and preparing for worship. He's the pastor at Taylorsville United Methodist Church, and I found out this about him. He has three degrees from Duke University as an undergrad, as an MDiv, and as a, a master's of theology. So his blood runs blue, Duke blue. So he's been serving in our conference since uh, the year 2000, and he's been at Taylorsville, what, for six years now? Is that right? Uh, actually in my seventh, so yeah. In his seventh year. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you on, and uh, we're just going to go right into some questions. Um, I also should say in the introduction that he is going to be the uh, worship team leader for our annual conference uh, 2017. So um, he obviously had something on the ball, or they wouldn't have chosen him. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about um, the way you worshiped when uh, – uh, you were in a local church early on, and you were uh, not in seminary. Tell us how worship uh, uh, was for you. Yeah. Um, as with anything, I guess um, those early years are formative and um, teach you teach you a lot. Um, I grew up in uh, eastern North Carolina, um, north of Durham, um, up near the Virginia border, uh, and uh, the church I attended was Methodist, um, called Tabernacle United Methodist Church. Um, it was out in the tobacco fields in eastern North Carolina. Um, and, in fact, it was one of the earliest Methodist congregations in North Carolina. Um, Francis Asbury um, notes in his journal in 1780 uh, that he preached at the Tabernacle to hmm. 400 people, rich and poor. Um, and so uh, that church obviously had a, a long has a long history um and um had been in that place for 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 a couple of centuries um and so you can imagine a small country church um that's been around for that long um worship there was tended to be uh tended to be traditional as we would call it um i, I think that's one thing to say as we get going which is that um we put a lot of different terminology on worship um and what is traditional for somebody might not be traditional for for someone else uh and cont contemporary and all those other things so um i'll try to explain those terms as best i can if if we need them to be explained sure. um but um so anyway yeah so it was you know just a small country church hymns uh piano no organ no anything else uh, choir that that uh, sang all of the old Cokesbury hymns, um, and uh, it, it, Tabernacle was and still is served by a student pastor uh, from Duke Divinity School. Uh, so every four years, growing up, we would get a new minister, um, and that allowed for a lot of diversity of, of theology. But also, it always meant new worship ideas because these new folks would come in, um, and so I think I got a real um, wide understanding of what worship meant even even as a teenager and a child um then i uh when i went to duke for for undergrad um i was um like most undergrads you don't you go off the of campus very much uh and so i worshiped at duke chapel 
um, and had the privilege of hearing Will Willman preach every Sunday during my college years, mm. um, which is something that I would not um, exchange for anything um, these days. So obviously very high church there, the choir uh, and and the liturgy uh, there. But in addition to Sundays at Duke Chapel, I was very active in the Wesley Fellowship, the campus, Methodist campus ministry there at Duke. And one of the things that really was formative for me was um, that Wesley did communion, had a communion service uh, in the evenings three three nights a week. So Tuesday, wow. Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, we did communion. And um, that got to be something where I, I was like, why would you do communion three days a week? I mean, that that's <laughs> seemed crazy. And then... But the more, as you, as it should, the more you do it, the more you hunger for it, uh, and the more you realize the grace that um, is available through that uh, sustaining practice. And so that really created and instilled in me a deep appreciation for the sacraments, and that's something I've carried with me to my congregations. I've always do it at least a weekly communion service uh, so that people have that opportunity. Um, so those are kind of some of the formative experiences that have brought me to where I am. Okay. Um, and so um, you've had these formative experiences, and it was pretty diverse. What what would you say um, the worship influences are for you now, and especially at Taylorsville uh, First United Methodist? Well, I'm, not, I'm really not one to um, listen to um, preachers on the radio or television, so I, I, I don't um, kind of – and maybe I should, <laughs> uh, but I don't really um, – connect in that way with with that so probably mostly my own people um i, I have a really um strong worship committee uh here at at first taylorsville and they are um, always willing and open to trying new ideas um i also have a group of local clergy colleagues that um meet, that we meet together on a, on a regular basis and we do a lot of ecumenical stuff together um and uh, we partner with uh, other churches in the community to so those worship joint worship experiences um are always uh, very powerful um and obviously if you're methodist and you're doing uh worshiping with the lutheran congregation uh, you get to experience some of the differences there and that that just enriches i think uh, my own worship uh on a regular basis and so i'm i'm grateful for those clergy colleagues, and, and just grateful for the openness and willingness of my own congregation to, to try different things, because um, they they are definitely not one to uh, just do the same thing over and over again, just because that's what they've done it, how they've done it before. So I'm grateful for that. Very cool. So uh, let's talk about the process. You mentioned you had a really active worship committee. Um, what is the process that you go through in your local church? Yeah, um, that's changed for me over the years. Um, I am uh, <laughs> I'm definitely somewhat of a procrastinator when it comes to um, um, a lot of things. I, I like the that's just part of my personality type. And so back in the old days, uh, it used to be a um, kind of a, on a week by week basis of, of figuring out what I would do that next that coming week. But um, because we have two services here at in Taylorsville. Um, a, a contemporary service with a, like a praise band at 8:30, uh, and then a more traditional service at 11 o'clock with a choir. Uh, you can't plan music for two services like that and and just kind of be doing off the cuff. So I have learned to 
plan sermons uh, six months in advance. Um, I'll okay. go away for for a night or two somewhere, uh, like the Catholic Conference Center in Hickory, um, and sequester myself in in, in a room and um, figure out what I'm going to preach, whether it's lectionary or sermon. Uh, series, which I, I've tended to preach a lot more sermon series than I used to. I used to be a, a solely a lectionary preacher, but have gone. And I think that really, uh, we're we're a growing church, and I, I think that um, having sermons that people can latch on to uh, and get excited about um, coming up is something that really helps foster um, church growth. And so I, I've, I've found that to be true in, in, in my own experience. And so I think sermon series... I know there are some people that are real strong lectionary preachers, and I think that's great because it does give you a, a breadth of knowledge uh, and a breadth of, of topics. But um, I think sermon series offer um, some real important strengths. Um, so anyway, I'll plan for six months in advance. I'll do scripture, figure out what scriptures I'm going to use, sermon title, and a main focus. And then obviously if there's something going on that particular day in the church season or anything else that needs to be incorporated into worship, those those are all noted um, together, mm-hmm. and so I'll pass those out to um, the worship committee and to all of the folks that are involved with music. Um, and usually, then the music folks, um, the choir director and the praise band, they can pick their own music based on my plans. Um, and uh, it's very seldom that it doesn't seem to flow perfectly. Um, and I, obviously, that's partly planning, but also partly the the work of the Holy Spirit, so I'm grateful for that. Um, I think it's also important to involve laity on as many levels as possible. Um, I have lay lay folks uh, that will do the pastoral prayer, um, that will do the children's message, that will read scripture, uh, and so helping the congregation to, to be as involved in worship as possible for them to be participants, not just observers. Um, and then, because I, I think the other side of that is, um, you know, us ministers like to hear ourselves talk, but um, you only have so much airtime um, before you lose people. And so if you use all of that, your own airtime doing announcements and some of the stuff that comes before the sermon, then when you start in on the sermon, you may already have lost them. And so I think that's important. Laity or using laity is definitely an important part of worship. Um and I'm just really blessed with two incredibly gifted musical groups. Um, and the, the, even though we're, we're we're kind of a medium-sized church, the quality of music that they give is um, is something I'm grateful for every Sunday. And then um, you know I try and find practical connections, videos if they're appropriate, um, and and then the visual art side of things, altar preparation. Um, this this past Advent we did um, Matt Rawls the Redemption of Scrooge series um, mm-hmm. as as a sermon series. And so we tried to make our sanctuary look as much like 19th century London as possible using lanterns and fabric and, and kind of added an element every week uh, as we built up towards Christmas. Uh, and people really got into that, and uh, it was kind of a fun thing. So really using all of our senses to worship, not just we, we typically think of singing and listening, um, but to use – our, our um, imagination and um, our our sight and um, even touch, uh, if if that's um, appropriate, you know, give pass out something to the congregation that they can take home with them, uh, that reminds them of the message and reminds them of of 
um, what God is doing in their life. So um, trying to make it as holistic as possible. Very cool. Well, let's take a break right now, and then after the break, we're going to come back and and talk about uh, this task before you getting ready for annual conference. So let's hear a word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Jane Boatwright-Wood, conference lay leader, and with 30 exceptional folks representing 1,100 local churches and almost 300,000 lay members, I serve on the Board of Laity, where we encourage and equip laity in their understanding and appreciation of their role in the church. The laity are Christ's church in the community and the world. The laity are the primary way new folks get to know Christ in the United Methodist Church, and that's how we fulfill the mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build the church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina by going to our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're here today with uh, Josh Scherfe, and he's going to be leading the worship team for annual conference, um, which is in June. And I know that they've been working since the fall. So tell us a little bit about what, what does planning for annual conference worship, what does that entail? Yeah, um... It, um, before I served on the worship committee, um, the last quadrennium, um, under the leadership of Oliver Helsebeck, um, and that was a real eye-opening thing for me. You, you come to annual conference and you, you know, worship is obviously a foundational part of, of the experience of holy conferencing, um, and our setting at Lake Junaluska is, is absolutely gorgeous in the historic Stewart Auditorium, um, and worshiping reminds us of our our shared purpose and history, and and I think it can be a real uniting force, especially lately in such a divisive world. Um, but the last four years, I realized just how much work goes into making those worship services happen. Um, we tend to think they just kind of fall in place sometimes, and and there's so much back work um, and so much organization and planning that goes on. Um, in the past, we've done it where um, one person on the, the worship committee will be in charge of a particular service, and so they kind of had free reign to plan um, that service uh, and to incorporate what elements that they kind of were feeling led to do. Um, that went with music um, and liturgy and all of those things. The bishop chooses the preachers, um, and then the worship committee um, does all of the other planning and work. And uh, but this year we kind of felt like we wanted um, this is we have a whole new committee uh, and we wanted a more holistic approach to that and so instead of assigning just one person to each worship service and kind of being in a very siloed approach to our planning uh, we held a, a worship retreat we held a retreat um, at the Catholic Con- Conference Center and um, we all kind of brainstormed and. They, daydreamed and envisioned about what we wanted um, worship to be like this this coming quadrennium. Uh, the bishop has chosen the theme of the Great Commission uh, for mm. the next four years, and so uh, out of Matthew 28, and um, we'll focus on the three things that Jesus says in that, uh, 
for the first three years and then go, which is baptizing, teaching, and obeying. Um, and then we'll, that last year will be the more general go, go and make disciples. Um, and mm. so this year we'll be looking at Jesus' instruction to baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so as we were planning, obviously water will be a major element um, in all of our services, and we kind of trying to incorporate that um, as we go, go through. Um, it may freak, freak people out a little bit because um, the f- opening worship at annual conference has always had communion, but this year mm. we're going to do a baptismal renewal um, okay. instead of that, and we're going to have communion, uh, the Eucharist, at closing worship instead. Um, okay. And so we think that's a, a, a great way of, of looking at the sacramental life uh, of the church, but also calling us into our own baptism and Jesus' call for us to go out and baptize others. Um, so obviously there will be a lot of visual art stuff there. We're looking at fountains and um, um, ways in which light can portray water. Um, and uh, so right now we kind of then did break up. We have two or three people um, that are doing each service. Um, there's conferences one less day uh, long this year, uh, and so right. that kind of limits us a little bit with our worship because there won't be an, uh, kind of an, an open Friday or Thursday or Friday night worship. Um, both evening worships will have uh, an element in there that, that is kind of already set. So one is commissioning, um, and then the other, then Saturday night will be the ordination service. Um, right. So we're somewhat limited at that um, and limited on the stage setup um, because you can only fit so many people up there. Uh, in Stewart Auditorium, but um, we we just taking each service and, and trying to incorporate the theme and to tr- then I think um, probably the biggest issue is um, to to just make sure we have a diversity of both experiences, um, kind of worship styles, but also people uh, who are leading the service to make sure there's a diversity of folks there. And so I think that's probably one of our greatest challenges. I think that's where you were headed was what, uh, what what's one of the greatest challenges in, in doing worship on that kind of scale. And I think diversity is probably it, um, mm-hmm. to reflect the diversity of worship traditions and styles uh, so that there's something for everybody to connect to, um, and then to reflect the diversity of our conference as it applies to race and gender and eth- ethnicity. Um, Hmm. We're a rich. We have a rich, um, a rich conference as far as all of that goes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it is a big undertaking, and I, I'm always working behind the scenes and all of this, and I know what goes into it, and I I I, I like what I'm hearing. I like. I, I did not know that uh, the bishop had already planned for the four years uh, what he was going to do, and that's that's exciting too. We don't have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't it, it definitely to. helps to have some some guidance and parameters going along, and the bishop has been very active. Um, uh, it's been great to get to know Bishop Leland so far, and he's been very active and intentional about um, helping us to um, envision where we're going um, as as a conference and in, in, in that through worship. And so, um, I greatly have appreciated have greatly appreciated his input and his ideas. You know, we've been talking a little bit about uh, worship at various levels. Uh, here's your opportunity. This is the last question. Um, what do you want for the audience to 
here today about worship and and coming straight from you, the preacher? <laughs> well, um, I mean, first, I think it's probably more than anything just a theological statement. Um, you know, one of the things uh, we are creatures um, created um, by our uh, by God, and one of the things we were created to do is to worship um, and maybe we oftentimes see it as just as um an obligation um but it's it's in worship we find our purpose um in a way that we don't find it in many of the other way, things we do during our life um i think there's a lot of, there's scriptural support from that whether you look at king david worshiping god by dancing through the streets of jerusalem or um the the disciples at pentecost and the holy spirit coming in their midst and and um guiding the early church, or, and then all the way to the book of Revelation where um, it describes what worship in heaven will be like. Um, so I think worship is just something that's integral to our faith and to our life and to our very being. Um, and so if I had to say anything, I would say go and worship. Um, now I hear a lot of people say, oh, I can worship, and preachers hear this all the time, we we can worship. We don't have to be in church to worship. We can worship out. I can worship out in the field by all by myself. Um, hmm. And I think there's a, an element of truth to that. But I think worship is uh, inherently a communal act. Um, it is not something you do by yourself. Uh, it is part of um, being part of the body of Christ and part of um, what it means to be the church that gives us that purpose. And so. Worship means being part of a community and and worshiping God together. And I think it is a joy. It is is a privilege. It's not just an obligation. Um, and in it, we find we find a purpose and a be and a sense of being that uh, we cannot find anywhere else. And so, I would just say, go worship. Uh, make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your spiritual disciplines. You know, works of piety, as John Wesley would say. Excellent. Well, we're going to leave it as at that and. Thanks, Josh, for being on the show. You're very welcome. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate the invitation. All right. We'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. Find out more about them at our show's website, umconnect.info. You've been listening to Connect.